Hi, this is Ruth Friedman, and I serve as the Maharat at Ohev Shalom, the National Synagogue in Washington, D.C. And welcome back to my weekly Parsha podcast, Life Imitates Torah. And you're all in luck because you got a special soundtrack background music um, today because they are installing speed bumps right outside my house, and there is a lot of very loud construction noise that I cannot seem to avoid. So this week we are reading Parsha Tazria which opens with the case of the Yoledet, or a woman who has given birth and distinguishes between what happens when she has a boy versus what happens when she's a girl, and also the process of purifying from that state. And so today I want to consider two questions, which is why the difference between a boy and a girl? And then the second question, why does she have to bring a chatat, translated often as a sin offering, as part of this purification process. Now, so the Torah says that when a woman has a boy, she's um, unclean, she's tme'ah for seven days, and then on the eighth day there is the bris, and then she is still tme'ah for 33 more days for the purpose of entering the Beit HaMikdash. Right, so there's like sort of a seven-day nida period, um, 33 days of additional impurity. So that's 40 days total. Now, if she has a girl, everything doubles. So she's to make off for two weeks, 14 days, and then needs to wait an additional 66 before she can be fully purified and re-enter the Beit HaMikdash. So that's a total of 80 days. So 40 versus 80. Now, as a side note, I get this question not infrequently if people say, okay, I had a baby, a boy, or I had a girl. How long do I have to wait? I know there's a difference between 40 and 80. That does not exist anymore. This was connected specifically to the Beit HaMikdash, does not exist. It's now, this, the ritual is simply, you have the baby, wait until the bleeding stops, and until it's safe to do checks and all of that, and then go to the mikvah. So the system doesn't is not used anymore. But yet, of course, it's important still to consider why the Torah doubles everything for girls um, and just why there are two different systems. So there, if you look at the rabbinic sources, there are different sources um, that explain, to give different explanations. But clearly, <laughs> they center around the assumption that a boy was a more desirable option than a girl. Now, you can imagine that there's all this like anticipation. Of course, they had no ultrasounds. They wouldn't know ahead of time what you're having. And so when it, everyone's just waiting to see when she gives birth, is it going to be a boy or a girl? Now, Rabbi Shimon in the Gemara Nida uh, touches on this sense of is there excitement or is there disappointment? And says that the reason for boys that she's only impure for her husband for seven days is because it, she's going to want to rush into having sex again faster because she's going to want to have another boy. Why? Because everyone is so happy. But with a girl, everyone is disappointed. And so the, she has to wait 14 days before she wants to even consider this process again. Now, obviously, one should not be having intercourse one week or even two weeks after having a baby. Um, I I think, thank God, this is probably one of the reasons that these systems did last longer was to prevent this from happening and to protect her, but certainly that is not a good idea. There's also a source in the Gemara and Sanhedrin that says that um, a daughter is for her father, uh, is translated as a false treasure. 
because he's always going to be worried about her. Whether she's a kid, worried that maybe, you know, she'll, she'll, uh, she'll be seduced. And then when she's a young woman, she'll, you know, get, um, a little bit involved in some, um, you know, sexual stuff. And then maybe, well, oh, she won't get married. And then she gets married. You're going to worry she doesn't have kids. And then when she gets old, you're going to worry she engages in witchcraft, etc. Okay, fine. A lot of these, we don't really have to worry anymore. Um, but anyway, so the, it's, it says that, you know, a daughter is a source of stress. A daughter is a source of anxiety, um, and acknowledges at the same time that you need both boys and girls in order for the world to exist or for humanity to exist, but still that acknowledging that at this time, boys brought joy to a family and girls did not. Right. And not only did they not bring joy, they brought anxiety, worry, disappointment, etc. Now, I think it's probably pretty clear for that for most of human history, this was true. Um, and even the Gemara and Brachot gives says you can't, it says it's forbidden to, um, to pray for something that's already been determined. And one of the examples is they give is they say, well, it's a tefillat shav. It's a, a false prayer, an empty prayer, prayer of nothingness. If once a man's wife is already pregnant, he davens for a boy because the sex of the baby's already been ordained. Nothing you can do at this point. Right. And so we see here that clearly, I mean, it, it's taken for granted almost that boys were such a des- more desirable child than girls. Mi'kmaq articulates some reasons that are legit, maybe some not like concerns of witchcraft. Um, but certainly we know that boys could carry on the family name. They could earn money. They could do all of these things. Whereas girls were really seen more as liabilities, um, financial liabilities than anything else. And so excitement centered around the boy. Now, I think that first of all, it's important not to shy away from this, but to really dive into this directly. Um, because we're experiencing an amazing thing right now, which is that we live in a society that for the likely the first time in human history, is actually more inclined to girls than to boys. Um, four years ago, almost exactly on March 5th, 2018, <coughs> excuse me, the New York Times published an article with the headline, Americans might no longer prefer sons over daughters, and looked at different um, evidence and, and different data that indicated that Americans were actually starting to shift and now girls are considered more exciting babies to have than boys. Girls are actually favored more than boys. Girls are more likely to go to college. They're actually more likely to succeed in work. Boys are, you know, the studies show that men are actually sort of dropping in their matriculation rates um, in colleges and, and all of that. And so girls now are actually seen as the most more successful sex and more successful gender than boys, which is fascinating. And I think, I think this material again is so important to study, to appreciate where society has been for most of human history and how much things have changed for us. And it's really an amazing thing that we are witnessing and that we are part of and radical. I'm not saying, I actually, I mean, I have two sons, I adore them. Um, so I certainly don't prefer girls over boys. Um, and I actually really don't like that attitude either. Um, but, and I worry that it's going to backlash a little bit, but I, I still think it's amazing to just stop and appreciate what a different time we are living in than what they were living in. So we now have to consider the second question of 
All right, finally, she finishes this period of either 40 days or 80 days. And then what does she do? She has to offer these sacrifices. And what are they? There's an Ola, which is like a voluntary offering. And then there's a Chatat, which is traditionally from the word Chet, sin, which is traditionally translated as a sin offering. So she had a baby. Why does she have to offer a sin offering? Now, the Gemara Nita explains in the context of what we were just discussing about the, the regret and the excitement um, of a girl versus a boy also says, well, that why would she have to bring a chata? Because when she is getting ready to actually give birth, she's in a ton of pain and she issues <coughs> a false oath or she just kind of swears like, I'm never again having sex with my husband, right? Um, an, an image we see even in pop culture today, like you did this to me or la 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 la, right? So she does something like that. She says something like that. Therefore, she has to bring the chatat to atone for having said these things that she didn't mean. Now, the Ibn Ezra says also that maybe, you know, some kind of a bad thought came into her mind while she was in labor um, because of the overwhelming pain, right? Pain can make people do and say crazy things. And so she just got to, you know, you got to tone for that whole process. Now, I would imagine many of us find this idea problematic um, because, you know, I mean, it's probably pretty obvious, right? Like why would a woman have to what kind of sin? I mean, you're in so much pain. How can you tell me that what I do when I'm in this much pain somehow problematic? And of course, I'm sure many women don't say things like that when they're in labor and all of that. So it's really not the loveliest idea that childbirth inevitably involves some kind of bad thought and therefore you have to atone for it when you fully recover from that process. And so I think it's important. I've seen this explanation offered more and more over the past few years. To, to consider it's more of an academic perspective than a traditional um, uh, commentary perspective. Um, Rabbi Shai Held a number of years ago, I believe eight years ago, wrote a piece about this in his weekly Dvar Torah email and um, quotes the biblical scholar Jacob Milgram, who argued that the chatat here is not from the word chait. It's not a sin offering, but it's from the word chita which means to cleanse, to decontaminate, right? So it's not about sin. It's about the decontamination. Now, what are we decontaminating? We're acknowledging that a woman in labor as she's having a baby is kind of like on the precipice of death and life, right? You're kind of, I mean, back then, especially where so much could go wrong. I mean, certainly what is an unusual for women to die in childbirth and also perhaps for the baby to die as well. It's this extremely serious experience that you really didn't know if everyone, both you and the baby, would emerge alive or healthy or in one piece or anything. And so that this, therefore, this isn't about sin. It's just about kind of recognizing that you were in such a vulnerable position that you were doing a dance between life and death, engaged in a dance between life and death, and that we're, we're purging that element. We're trying to overcome that, recognize that it was part of us, and then set it aside, remove it from ourselves, and then move on, like fully return back into life. Which I think is a really, really beautiful idea to consider. And I, you know, I've always wondered over human history, like, weren't women terrified when they were pregnant, especially as they got closer to the end? I mean, 
so much could go wrong. Wasn't this like really, really scary? How could you be happy? I mean, it was just so scary to know what is coming and to know what you could potentially be going through and to have this be part of the healing process, the recognition of that fear and that unknown and the validation of it and then the healing from it. And I think that this also, you know, raises lots of interesting questions today where certainly those of us who live in places where we have access to, to good, thank God, maternal care and healthcare in general, really don't enter the process of childbirth with that same level of fear, with that same level of uncertainty. But we also know that there are still plenty of issues with, um, you know, maternal death rates, uh, maternal mortality, especially amongst um, minority populations in this country, um, especially during COVID when pregnant women have been much more vulnerable, um, and certainly in many parts of the world that don't have proper maternal health care yet. And so I think that in some ways this kind of restores that appreciation of a process that many of us nowadays take more or less for granted, which is that when a woman gives birth, she really does have a somewhat unique life and death experience. Um, one that the Torah here acknowledges is a serious one and also provides a context to heal from. Good job, this.